On Living a Sex Positive Life, we explore all aspects of human sexuality. We talk about the good and the bad, the health and healing benefits, the adventures and the relationships, as well as the crimes and the tragedies. We strive to be an advocate and an empowering force in the fight for sexual freedom. Our mission is to educate, entertain, and talk about the touchy subject that affects us all, sex. Now here's your host, Angelique Luna. Hey everyone, it's Angelique Luna, and I'm here with my co-host, John C. Luna. Only co-host? Yeah. Only, after, usually I, have like I, 10 I, titles for me. I like. know, but after today's like adventures of you not, you know, nose diving from the three foot Twizzlers and saying if you come bruised, it's all my fault. And, well, we're know. going through a store and it's just funny. We happen to have a long conversation about Twizzlers and I got beaten by the regular Twizzlers. And if they ever find the three foot Twizzlers, there's no way I'm letting you buy them. We walk into a store. What's there? Like this massive box of on sale three foot Twizzlers. I'm like, don't fucking touch them. Don't even look at them. If I end up bruised and, and beaten and battered, the police will know it's you. Sounds like a kink negotiation. <laughs> totally. And then he was looking at the peppermint, two-pound peppermint stick in exchange for the three-foot Well, if you were going to get that, I was going to get a two-pound two peppermint stick, and I know where I was going to put that. <laughs> Absolutely. And the voice that you just heard was our guest this evening, Kevin Patterson, the author of Love Is Not Colorblind. And Kevin, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, I got. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I got to correct you. It's love's not colorblind. Like I, I was told to be very specific. Oh, okay. okay. Branding, baby. Branding. It's yeah, all about yeah. branding. Yes. Thank you. Um, well, we didn't yeah. get a copy of the book yet because at Playground it sold out before we could even get a chance. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm not going to apologize for that. Oh nope. no no. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, it's uh. Well, with me and my work, uh, my, I do a blog. I do a blog called uh, Poly Role Models, and it's it's um, an interview series, and where I bring people in, and uh, whether it's video or by text, people sort of explain their real life experiences with polyamory, um, and that sort of spun into me talking about race and polyamory because of my own personal experiences as a, a black guy navigating polyamorous spaces and that spun into me writing this book love's not colorblind fantastic there now okay it's just so be politically correct and i'm not getting myself in trouble because i'm always good at that of offending people because i don't use the proper terminology is it okay for us to use black versus african-american or people of Uh, color or people of color yeah I always identify myself as black. Um, I In the book, I go into a lot of experiences of being black. I do speak a lot about people of color and sort of um, some of like the universal, I guess, issues that we all face as people of color. But I refer to myself as black, and a lot of times like I, I go straight to speaking directly about blackness because I don't always want to speak for other people. Okay, great. Good to know there. So that way I know how to continue the conversation. So actually, that is a a great point. Um, I've been in poly for a while and been going to different poly meetups. We went to a a poly conference uh, once. We have more coming up. And I think you are the second black man I I have seen who has been openly poly. Yeah? Who's the first? Um. 
Oh, I remember his name. You we don't were... even know. No, 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 no. Seriously. <laughs> it was one of those. Um, it was like my fourth meeting at the Orlando Poly Group. And there were new people. And we're all excited for new people. Hey. Yes, and yes. It was a I couple. remember. Yes, I remember that. And we gentleman. were excited. He had some really great input. And then the sentence went to, well, I'm just passing through. I'm actually from Jacksonville, which is like two hours away. And we're like, oh. Right. It was a oh, cute man. little college couple there. They, they um, actually know Professor Sachs. Yes. So from oh, University awesome. of North Florida there. So again, yeah, she, yeah, she's been in my blog. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And we've actually tried to go to her workshops um, when we can because um, Jacksonville is only two hours away from us. As we say, so. only two hours away. Or in New York, that's like 10 blocks sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that ends up being really difficult. Uh, ends up being really difficult sometimes uh, where. Just being like one of very few people of color, being one of very few black people in like uh in any space really ends up being sort of a sort of a trial, sort of a hindrance. And it's something that keeps a lot of us out of these spaces entirely. Um I know I've met I've met people I've met black people where like they show up to the same event that I was at and they wouldn't show up to future events for that community or for that organization and but like if i had something at my house they'd show up so like it was really clear that like they felt uncomfortable in a space that was meant for polyamory but knew that my house was a place that was safe for black people and that that's something that happens a lot and a lot of times people don't really ask that question of like so why didn't you come back? Like we have this happy hour every every week. We have this discussion group every month. You came one time, you never came back, and we never really considered why you didn't come back, and we didn't ask the question. That sort of level of care ends up hindering people of color all of the time. Well, co- coming off of um, a Playground, we went to a polygroup meeting down here, and Angelique did bring up the question – of looking around the room, and there was about 12 people there. Um, she was the darkest. And oh, wow. asked the question, you know, have people shown up in the past and not come back? And someone who had been in a poly relationship uh, with a girl who was black uh, said that she really didn't like going to the meetings because she felt fetishized. And that's really the first time I had heard uh, that, that actually being said. Yeah. But have you experienced that? Like people I mean, trying to date you just because you're black? I mean, I've, I've experienced that in my dating life, not specifically limited to my, to my polyamory. Um, I've been in situations where like I'm, I'm going out with somebody or like we start seeing each other or talking or what have you. And I get this impression that like, we don't have, a, we don't have a lot in common, but she seems more interested in me than our interests would suggest or she wants me to come over to the house and hang out but she doesn't want me to meet her friend she doesn't want to go out in public with me like i've 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 gotten those sort of impressions before and in those cases like i just sort of found my way out of those relationships really quickly or you know just sort of exited those interactions um every 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 black woman and every woman i of color that i know has a stream of online dating interactions 
that has somebody saying something to the effect of, I've never dated a black girl before, you know, like as if that's supposed to be the thing that like that, that, that leads to an attraction. Like, Oh wow. I get to be a stamp on your ethnicity passport. Let's go fuck somewhere now. That's, that's the thing that happens enough that everyone sort of has a story about that. And it's, it's so limiting. It's so limiting. It takes somebody who's like this fully fledged human, human with thoughts and dreams and ambitions and jobs and family. And it limits them to that one thing. And it's, and it's supposed to be it's supposed to be like welcoming and it's the exact opposite of that like i i hate that i even have to have these conversations so much of this stuff is is born out of pain my pain and the pain of others but these are the conversations the uncomfortable talks that we all have to have how long have you been poly um I'll say it like this. I've been I've been non-monogamous. I'm in my 16th year of non-monogamy, uh, ethical non-monogamy. Veteran. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as of this August, as of the first weekend in August, that is my that is what I call my anniversary because the first weekend in August is the anniversary of they had there's a big um, festival up in Toronto called Carabana, and. 16 years ago at Carabana, I had a threesome that opened up my my then current relationship. I mean, it's it's still it's still a current relationship, but like it opened up a new relationship that I had just started in, and then it's been sort of in my head the anniversary of that ever since. <laughs> but yeah, went to Carabana, had a threesome, got open, stayed open, and yes. that's that's the norm. Yeah, it is. That's what I was going to say. It's like once you open that door, it's so hard to go back. I think yeah. It's rare. I, I can't even think of anyone I've heard that's gone back, stayed back. You know, they'll, they'll do. It's like, okay, we were monogamous. Then we opened it. Then we closed it. But then it doesn't stay closed that long. It just gets reopened again because people can't handle that, you know? Yeah. I mean, when we opened up that relationship... There was a lot of talk about eventually going back. I mean, not a lot of talk, but some talk where when we moved in together, when we moved away to, uh, from, from our college town, when we got married, when we bought a house, when we had kids, we, we had all of these off-ramps built into our non-monogamy. Eventually, we were going to sort of settle down and do the right thing. But what kept happening was our non-monogamy just kept evolving where uh, we, we had some trials and tribulations with our, with our dating. Um, my, my wife ran into a guy who was harassing her that I had to like jump in and, 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 and fight off. Um, I started dating and meeting people. Uh, she started dating and meeting people. We started finding like uh, local polyamory meetups, which is where we started using the term polyamory. And like, we just, started meeting so many awesome people that there wasn't a point where it felt natural or comfortable or right to just say, all right, well, now we have to arbitrarily cut off all of these people, you know, X these people out of our lives. None of that ever made sense. And like shutting down any of those interactions just never made sense. So going back, eventually we got to a point where going back to monogamy just didn't make any sense anymore. Like it just, we didn't know what we what we had to gain by doing that. So 
yeah, we just we just stopped doing that altogether. And then we got like polyamory tattoos, and now we're lifers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I definitely like how you said the, the right thing, and you. I, I almost saw like you wanted to do this. The air uh, and I'm doing the air quotes here that it's the right thing that you know the majority of society will tell us this is what we have to do, but. I find more and more, especially with books like yours, and, and and by the way, I'm just going to make this point. I am so glad there's a poly book that's not written by a white woman, because Boy. holy crap, they seem to have the market cornered on that, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I I made a couple of people blush while talking about that because like I talk about that a lot. Where I mean, and, and these are great books. These are books that I've read, books that I've enjoyed, books that have started my own polyamorous journey. Like opening up is like opening up is the book that started that started me off, you know. Um, but I as soon as I read opening up, I went back and read like the ethical slut, and I read. Um, Sex at Dawn, and I read Jenny Black's Open, and I eventually read like more than two when that came out. And then I met Franklin Vaux and Eve Rickard and got in their faces about like an audiobook. And then like they made an audiobook, and I bought that too, <laughs> you know? But there's been a couple of times where I've talked about how so many of these books are written by white women, and I've said it. And there would be like one or two white women in the audience or, or somebody on a podcast that I was recording who was already in the middle of writing their own polyamory book. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm talking at you here. I mean, I, not that you should stop writing your book and not that anyone should stop reading those other books, but there's a very limited perspective that we're going to get there. And that also is something that needs to be addressed. Oh, agreed. Um, and those books are great. I mean, I feel every, the funny thing is when I talk with poly people, they mention the exact same five books. I feel like we should have like this yes. gift packet of I've decided to join poly. Welcome. Here's your gift packet. Here's your five books. Start reading these and go yep. from there. Um, and they, they are great books, but it, like I said, like I said, it is a single perspective. And, um, one of the things I'm working on now is actually trying to form a group down in Orlando for bi men and the people who support them awesome. because. We have lots of groups for, for, you know, and I want to go all the terms, the gay, the lesbian, trans, you know, huge. We, we have a huge facility down here called the Parliament House that, that not only has parties, but also, um, what would you call it? A recreation complex, as well as the center and, and so many, so many resources. And of course, we have Pulse down here that everyone gathered together for, yeah. which I never want to take away anything from all that stuff. But I kind of said, you know, what about Polly? Uh, I mean, sorry, what about bi guys? And bi I kind of looked around yeah, and everyone just, went, huh? Yeah, because bi yeah. is the silent B of the LGBT. Yes, I, I mean, I mean <laughs> from what from what I hear, there's only an L and a G in the LGBT. But I'm I, as I'm not uh, I'm not queer enough to have a legitimate exp a, a legitimate like opinion on that. But yeah, I mean, we recently in Philadelphia. Um, a few people started having like bi guy, queer guy meetups, and it's not like an every, it's not like an everyday all the time thing, but it's part of like a culture shift that our that our local area has has hit recently. That's sort of doing the same thing, where somebody's saying like, "Hey, there's a need here. There's there are people here who feel underserved by the community at large. Let's do something that's for us." And I think that's like really amazing. Cool. Well, I want to go back to your book in this segment, and I'm uh, I'm reading the end of it, uh, the little the little uh, what do we got here? The Amazon summary, 
And I'm just going to summarize this as a framework for understanding and, and confronting racism within polyamory communities. What made you go ahead? Because like you said, you go somewhere, everyone's like, I'm writing a book. What what made you finally put it together? Was it a, an event or just being a 16-year veteran in the poly community? Or um, I, I always give all of the credit to uh, Rebecca Hiles, the Frisky Fairy. Um, where she and I, she and I, uh, have dated, we have collaborated, we are, we are strongly in each other's lives. And she knows that I am someone who walks around talking about race. And she knows that I have experiences with polyamory and that I, I can, that if you say, Hey, Kev, tell me about race and polyamory, that I can sit there and talk to you for like three hours without, <laughs> without taking a breath. And at some point she said, Hey, you should write about this. Like you should do it. You should submit a workshop for like Catalyst Con. You should submit for a poly living, uh, poly living event. And once I started doing that, I mean, like I, I, I wanted to blow her off because like that didn't seem like something I could reasonably do. And then, but I took a chance. I started doing it. People started listening and people started, um, inviting me to show up at other places. And, Eventually, I thought maybe writing a book might be a good idea, and I reached out to Thorn Tree Press, and I said, I've got an idea for a book, and they said, that's an okay enough idea, but we've been hearing about this race and polyamory workshop that you've been talking about, and if you'd be willing to write a book about that, we'd be, we're down to publish it. And so I basically took the book, or I took the workshop that I've been given all over the country and I extended it. I added a lot of research. I, I put more voices in it than just my own and I expanded it to, to, a, to, to novel length or not. I don't even know what novel length means. I don't even know why I said those words. <laughs> um, but I, I made it into a book and, and now it's available and. The reception has been pretty strong. The reception has been pretty strong. I mean, like, I don't know what the sales look like, but. I run into people. I run into people on social media all the time that are like, "Hey, I'm like halfway done, and this is amazing." Or I'm, I want to put this, you know, a review on Amazon for you. So I'm glad to have it out. And Ruby Johnson, who does uh, Poly Dallas Millennium, mm-hmm. said that I'm like the first Black American to to put out a polyamory book. I don't even know if that's true, but that's amazing. It shouldn't have taken until 2018, but that's amazing if it is. Yeah, it is because we've been researching and looking and looking at the names of authors, and I I was actually surprised because even that I don't think there's any like even ethical non-monogamy books written by African Americans. Yeah, and that's that's that tells you a lot about like uh about sort of the the limits of our representation mm-hmm. because um. When I started writing this book, I expected there to be a bunch of other books coming like before or after. So I was like, let me let me write this thing fast because I got to beat like five other books to to to, to press. And that wasn't the case at all. Um, when I started speaking in places, I expected to run into so many other people who were st- who with like a bunch of like la- overlapping content. And it wasn't until Poly Dallas Millennium last year that I actually run into that. Where I'd go to I'd go to a, a a a sex ed conference and be like one of the few people talking about polyamory, which was strange to me. And then I go to a polyamory conference and find like that I was the only one talking about race or or really identity politics at all, which was even stranger to me. And then I go to Poly Dallas Millennium and it's like, well, Alicia Bunyan Sampson had a, a workshop called um, "Where Are All the Black People at Polyamory and White Supremacy" or something something oh. to that effect. 
And, and I actually reached out to her to see if we could like do our workshops together because there's, I definitely go into talking about white supremacy and how it sort of affects everything in our lives. Um, there was also uh, Chris Christopher Smith who runs uh, who has a workshop called like Polyamory and the Black American. I think it's called like Open to Love Polyamory and the Black American. I want to try to get the names right because these are like awesome educators and that everyone should be following their work. And so there was the three of us all talking about like overlapping topics, not in the same way, not in the same direction, but that was a that was such a first for me that I expected to be like an all the time thing. But it makes it makes me really excited to go back to Poly Dallas Millennium because like that was one of the first conferences where it was it was centered around people of color. It was I didn't feel like I needed to code switch there. I felt like it was one of the most comfortable places I've ever been to in far as conferences between sex ed or polyamory. Oh, that's awesome. We're so looking forward to that because Ruby did invite us to broadcast there with the podcast and also awesome. be teaching two workshops in Spanish. Oh, wow. That's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> I know. You it's know? like how to talk to your kids about sex education and cookies and consent, which is an interactive workshop um, teaching consent with cookies. You know how many workshops that I've been to or seen that were in Spanish over the course of like the last three years? Two? <laughs> Zero. Zero. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's my niche. That that's how I'm trying to stand out in the crowd and and listen and teach people about sex education. Because as much as in the African American community it's like taboo, the Hispanic Latino Latinx community forget it. It's even worse. It's more underground and hidden to talk about it. I mean, we we never talk about sex. You know, the only time you probably uh, hear anything about sex is like, don't do it. You'll get pregnant and you only wait for your wedding night. That's it. Yeah. The summary of yeah. Latino sex education. <laughs> and there, there's, there's so many, there's so many messages that we get from our respective cultures, from our respective societies. And like so much of it is bullshit. So much of it, it doesn't address like that monogamy can be difficult. Like no one ever talks about that. You know, there's, there's nothing that says like, Hey, sex can be pleasurable. Sex can be risk aware. And like, you know, polyamory can be an option even if polyamory isn't an option a lot of the things that make polyamory awesome can be options like all this open communication and owning your shit and emotional literacy like people don't have those kind of conversations about their relationships but the relationships matter so much you would think that like you'd want to get really in depth with that to do these things right like i when i just when i figured out the, what non-monogamy was even though I had already been doing it for years, when I figured out what polyamory was, when I had already been doing it for like a decade, I did so much research because it was new and fantastic and I didn't want to fuck it up. And it would be awesome if people did more of that in whatever relationship structure they decided to go for. Or even if it was just like, I'd like some friends with benefits. Let me figure out how to do that correctly without fucking up anybody, with like fucking people, but not fucking them over. <laughs> Fucking them, but leaving them better off than when you found them. Exactly. So. And on that note, we're going to go to our first commercial break. This is John C. Luna. And this is Angelique Luna. And if you like the content we've been putting on Living a Sex Positive Life, then we need your help. For as little as a dollar a month, you can give to our Patreon account, which will help us... Ser seriously? 
it works for PETA. Why not us? We're, we're starving sex educators here. Let, let's just tell them what they get. For as little as a dollar a month, we'll give you all past content and bonus content. But if you're able to give just a little bit more, we can give them what? Video content? We could give them a one-on-one 30-minute Skype. They could have a private access to a group chat. Or even better, we could answer one question per month live on the podcast. So if you like what we're doing and you want us to keep doing it, please go to our Patreon page for Living a Sex Positive Life and Give Generously. Oh, dear God. <laughs> okay, we're back. We Let's see, we were talking about... Sex Down? Uh, no, not Sex Down. Uh, I'm sorry, Poly Dallas Millennium. <laughs> but that actually brings me to something I wanted to say. Um, two years ago it was, we went to Sex Down South. Which yeah. is, of course, oh, first of all, wonderful. And we're so excited. Right here. Martha just actually came. <laughs> Marla. Con- Marla. Marla. Marla contacted <laughs> us about being on the uh, podcast. Uh, pod- Thank you. So we're going to be having a, her up in a few weeks. and We're very excited about that. But it, I grew up in New York, obviously a very uh, New York in the 80s. So a very racially charged, um, intense situation over there. Um, Ed Koch. Oh, Ed Koch. I, I actually, my school was three blocks away from the Queens County Courthouse during the Howard Beach trial. Oh, my God. And I had, it just was a very bad, tense time. But okay. I actually, when I turned 17, I graduated. I left New York. I came down to Florida, and it, it was very different. And color was never really an issue for me. My, my wife, after three years being married, talked about an interracial relationship. And I looked at her and said, who? And she's like, us, you idiot. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That She's Latino. That makes it interracial, I guess. I've heard heard people say that, but I've only ever heard white people say that. Like, um, like I didn't realize I was, you know, they never, like, thought about the interracialness of their relationship, but but the person of color in that relationship never missed a trick on that one. I've had that happen myself where uh where like a partner like somebody like that movie Loving was coming out um about like the first uh the the couple that that broke the anti miscegenation laws in America yep. and I was out with a partner a white partner and some random person just sort of asked us like if we had seen the movie and said like hey you're a cute couple have you seen this movie it just came out and my partner was just like, yeah, like I hadn't really thought about it. Like, I never really can think about us being an interracial relationship. And I'm sitting there thinking like, I'd never forget that shit. Like, it, <laughs> it, like it's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the relationship. I love who I love, but like, that's never, that's never a fact that's lost on me. Well, I will say in, in being, uh, uh, married to Angelique, my loving wife here, I've got to see the racism from her point of, from her side. And it was what about two, three years into uh, into us getting together, we had gone and we were resodding her house. Yeah, and uh, she had a house before we got married. It's rental now, but we just went and fixed it up. So it was me, her, her parents, her brother, her child. So I'm the only white guy there. And the family worth of Mexicans, yeah. <laughs> and we're working on the lawn. Not to put a stereotype, but the neighbor literally walked out, looked at everyone that around looked at me and said, oh, so you're the new owner. And I'm like, oh, you're a dick. Yeah. That's yeah. what you're talking about. That sucks. 
And and like you were only halfway into that story, we already knew where it was going. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. and it it it's rough because like for everyone for every and and Angelique, correct me if I'm wrong here. Mm-hmm. Go for, for it. For every for every one of those that you remember, there's probably a dozen that you've forgotten. Oh yeah, you know because you get so numb after a while of the behavior and the antics in regards to people judging you by the color of your skin. So I'm always used to people just judging me, period, either for me being very vocal as a woman of color or being very passionate and correcting um, wrongs that need to be right. So I'm not a very quiet person, but I know even within the Latino community, because here in Orlando, it's a good mix of everything. You got Cubans, you got Puerto Ricans, Venezuelas, Argentinas. Even then, I do get some kind of discrimination or racism, even though we're the same kind of ethnic background, just because we're from different countries and different verbiage and vocabulary we use. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I, I don't, I mean, like, I couldn't, I couldn't call your experiences. I know with my own experiences, um, there was a point where I remember having a conversation about about race and about how numb you get to all of these like microaggressions mm-hmm. and about halfway into the conversation, as I was saying, and I was like, oh, yeah, and something happened to me yesterday and I had already forgotten it. Mm-hmm. Where like it happened. It was like and all I remember was like I was at a bus station and something happened and I was mad about it for about five seconds. And then I went back to reading my book and then in trying to relay the story the next day. I had already forgotten because, like, it wasn't one of the landmark ones that I remember really, really clearly. Like, there are so many times where, like, I'm walking by myself and got, like, stopped by cops because I was, like, walking while black. Like, you know, that those, that jeans and geek boy t-shirt combo is, is really dangerous. It's the, it's the mark of a – it's the mark of a thuggy, I guess. And it happens so frequently that, like – you can't always you can't always spare the mental and emotional energy to remember every single one because like it, it would be all that you ever thought about. Oh, absolutely! I, I think my favorite is when I get pissed off when I go to a a shopping area, mall, or upscale place where you know I'm not dressed as everybody else, but you know I don't wear raggedy, holdy clothes, and they yeah. just treat me like the whole pretty woman syndrome. Like, oh no, we we can't help you. It costs way too much. I'm like, bitch, here's my credit card, and take my money. And guess what? Oh yeah, five hundred dollars just clear. Boom. It's like, I remember somebody lost a car sale with me that way once, where um. I, I I was shopping for a car and I was going to a few different places and one of the one of the places that I went to um what the guy should have said what the car dealer should have said was your your credit interest rate is going to be the your credit interest rate is going to be determined by your credit score and we'll see what we can do to help you that's what he should have said what he did say was well, I don't know if you're going to qualify for the best interest rate, but we'll see what we can do to work with you. And I'm sitting there thinking, what does this guy know about me to say he doesn't think I'll, Based on I'll qualify? Yeah, like, you know my name and what I look like at this point. And that's it. You don't know. You haven't looked up my credit. You don't know where I work. You don't know anything about me. So why would you say I don't think you'll 
qualify for the, for the best interest rate. And then there was like this look of surprise when he's like, oh, you do qualify for the best interest rate. At that point, I was already done. I wasn't buying my car from that guy. Oh, I know. That happened to me. Funny story. It was on my brother's graduation. Same same exact thing happened, except that they jerked us around for two hours. And we're like, look, we're trying to buy a car. If you're not going to sell me the car, that's fine. Went to another dealership. And then, you know, we took the car for a test drive. And the guy is like, hey, what can he do to close this deal? I'm like, if you could wrap this sale up in less than an hour, you got yourself. He's like, okay, turn around and done. And that guy, without checking my credit or nothing, you know, got himself a nice deal and sold me the car because my credit was awesome. But these yeah. guys jerk us around. For, so we lost two hours that after we even closed the deal, we were rushing to get to my brother's graduation. Oh, man. You know, I'm, I'm not even going to defend uh, myself on this, but in, in going again, spending spending time with Angelique and even I went car shopping. With Angelique, and I went car shopping another time with my mom. And I saw used car dealers that I specifically pointed. It The car is for her. And they kept talking to me. And I kept oh, pointing yeah. and going, her. She's the one making the payments. She has to know how to drive it. And this one guy, we walked in and we're like, we have $20,000 to spend. We want something gas efficient. Oh, well, best gas efficient car. And he put us in a $45,000 Prius. And I'm like, wow. Are you freaking deaf? And I'm like, that was just so insulting. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been in those sort of situations where, like, um, a few months back, um, uh, um, I was with I was with a partner. There was like a, a customer service snafu with a ring that I bought her, and the the cust- and the uh, the customer service rep, the manager of the store, he kept talking to me as if there weren't two people standing in front of him. And it was her, it was her ring and her problem, you know, so you can talk to both of us, you know, even like it's my money, but it's her ring. You can have a conversation with both of us as you resolve this. And he was so pointedly not looking at her or speaking to her that like she noticed it. I noticed it. We made a big deal out of it. And we ended up like, you know, calling, calling managers or corporate or whoever and getting like free, free gift cards to that place that I'm probably never going to use because I don't want to go back to that place anymore. But like they basically cost money from their own store just by not doing what they should have been doing in terms of, um, quality, quality service to all of their patrons. And it's, it's, it's such an unnecessarily an easy fix. Yeah, Just treat us like people. Period. It's so much easier when you do that. I don't understand. I don't understand the pushback between uh, like I don't want to treat people like people, even though it's going to give me a harder time. Why? Now, see, my dad's notorious for that because he's always been that. You know, I, I don't know how to explain my father when he gets arrogant. That I was like. Oh, you don't think I have the money? And he was like, "Cha-ching," you know. Well, your your father is customer service's worst nightmare because I've heard him call the cable company, and I'm like, "Did they fuck up?" He's like, "Not this time, but they fucked up in the past, and I'm still going to be mad at them." I'm like, "Okay, let's run into this positively then." It's a sport for him. It's like little disgruntled Mexican. What do you expect? But I always found it comical with you at Sex Down South because I think you were one of three white men in the conference. And 
And it was funny because shortly after, well, almost a year later, we went to Woodhall and we ran into somebody who attended the conference and, and pointed to John. It's like, hey, I remember you from uh, Sex Down South and everything. And then just pointed at me. It's like, no, I don't remember you at all. I'm like, yeah, because I kind of blended in with everybody else. He stood out. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've had I've had similar problems, like sort of the reverse of that, where I'm 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 notoriously shitty with names and faces. Like I, I wish I was better at that. If they one day put in that black mirror technology where we can record stuff with our eyeballs, <laughs> I will I will get better with names and faces just by that just by that measure. But until then, I'm bad with names and faces. And I feel like a lot of people in my local community, they remember me from being the black guy at things. <laughs> you know? And then I don't remember them because they are one of a hundred white folks. And granted, I'm not good with names and faces regardless of that. But I feel like that weighs into the dis- the, the disparity of, oh, hey, nice to meet you. You've met me three times already, Kevin. You know, I feel like there, that weighs into it somehow. I've had to make and it, it is it is a huge effort. To remember names. Oh, come but on. I, I'm notorious for that. You know, thank God I worked for a company that everyone had name tags, so it was fine. Just that it sucks now that I'm in the real world that no one has name tags and we go to so many conferences. I, yeah, I, 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 dr- I dream of the world of the, the Google Glasses, which have failed, but where everyone had a little name tag floating above them so I could remember. But I really mm-hmm. hate going up to someone and I'm like, I walked up and I realized I forgot their name, but I'm a huge fan of theirs. Oh, God, that sounds so sincere. I should just shut up now. <laughs> I feel I felt really bad at uh, at playground where there was a couple of people who had like familiar faces and I didn't and I didn't want to go up and say hey you look familiar because that's awkward um, and there are people that I just sort of didn't didn't engage with and then I'd go home and realize like oh I do know their faces we've been Facebook friends for a couple of years now you know like I met them at a thing we became Facebook friends I didn't really see them again and then I see them at playground or I see them at one event or another and it's like. I know you kind of, sort of, but I don't want to go up and say, hey, you, you know, because that's not, that that doesn't seem genuine. We found out a, a trick to get around this. How? And here's Uh-oh. the secret. Okay. Which one? We also, of course, go over to the kink community where very few people use their real name. Yeah. But being in a podcast, being we talk with lots of them, somehow that keeps getting shared with us. So I've done the, hey, how you doing, hold in and go, what name are you going by now? So it makes me sound like, yeah, so tell me what you want to be called this time because I don't want to call you by that wrong name and get you embarrassed or get you in trouble. And it's like, oh, my God, yes. And I'm like, oh, shit, I have no clue what the fuck their name was, but thank you for telling me. Oh, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. You can't really do that as much in in non-kink spaces. No. Well, yeah. Well, even in the uh, sex educator world, you could do that same thing because a lot of us don't even go by the same name either. And that is such a shame. We um, are providing a service. We're we're, we're trying to, to to help the youth and the and better relationships, and we have to hide. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I didn't realize I didn't realize how prevalent that was until like I was already sort of mixed into it. Like people having a uh, people using like um, sort of stage names, people using like pseudonyms, um, people using first and middle names. Uh-huh. I, I had no idea, you know, or character names from their favorite television shows. Oh, come on. Many years ago when I first watched one of my favorite sex educators, Sonny Megatron, I'm like, Oh my God, who thought of that? That is the coolest name. 
is that Irish? I don't know where it comes from, but Megatron. And then, of course, she says, I changed my name. And in, like, her uh, Showtime show, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. I feel like a dumbass. Well, same with Cooper <laughs> Beckett. That's yeah, where, uh, yeah. Yeah, we it's... all go by, by different names. Yeah, Cooper Beckett and Dylan Thomas are legit sounding names. Like, yeah. I, I have no idea what their actual names are. <laughs> oh well, that's a level of privacy we'll just grant them. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Of course, of course. There, it's like yeah, but I always feel bad that when I forget people's name, and I just kind of have this resting bitch face look. It's not that I'm being mean or rude. It's just like I don't know how to react, so people think. I'm kind of, like, rude, and I'm like, I'm not. I just feel awkward, you know, and I feel kind of stupid and shy at the same time, even though, like, I'm very, like, once you get to know me and I'm rolling, I'm very outgoing and outspoken, but, yeah, there, there's that times I'm like, oh, shit, and they just look at me, and they, some people get upset with me. They're like, how can you, I'm like, I'm sorry, you know? <laughs> See, Playground had those stickers for your badges that said something like, uh, you know, ask me anything. Are you flirting? I'm shy. Talk to me. I wish they had a sticker that just said, I don't remember your name. Because <laughs> I would have gotten that, and that would have been like the conversation starter for everybody. I think we should suggest that to Samantha, because she did ask, is there any other labels we should have printed? And we should say that for the next conference. Well, yeah. I saw a Facebook, uh, Facebook I wanted to post. Maybe it was Tumblr or something. But they had this really great thing. They had color-coded cups like you would have at a post party you know just any party those those plasticky cups but yeah. they had them laid out all different colors and it's kind of rough because i am colorblind legitimately but oh. they had labeled of looking non-monogamous so depending on which cup you got basically you very much you could tell are they available are they looking for a relationship are they looking for nsa or are they just taken yeah hmm. that is genius party idea Taken, and then Liam Neeson arrives and comes <laughs> with his particular set of skills. That cup should have Liam Neeson's photo on there. Oh, that would be great. That would be fantastic. <laughs> oh, ideas for the Poly Dallas Millennial After Parties. <laughs> oh, I'll buy the cups. No worries. <laughs> oh, we could do oh, the, the clear cups, would be the open. And I don't know. We'll figure it out. Uh, yeah, now you're, you're looking too deep there. So. Too deep, right? Okay. <laughs> Let's take another quick commercial break, and then we're going to talk about his workshop over at Poly Dallas. Poly Dallas Millennial is a symposium about consensual and ethical non-monogamy. We're going to be broadcasting there from July 13th to the 15th down in the Dallas area. I will also be doing presentations in Spanish for how to speak to your kids about sex and cookies and consent, all in Espanol. So if you're in the Dallas area or you can come and travel, come visit us and say hi. See you there. And we're back. Now we're going to be talking about Kevin's workshop at Playground, uh, which, John, you attended. Yes, yes. It was uh, uh, amazing. If you can find, someone recorded it, didn't they? Uh, yeah, it's actually available um, at my uh, the Pilot Role Models Facebook page. Um you can scroll down a bit. It's um, end of February, or you can just go to like the video section. It's um, the the camera work is is awkward for the first couple of minutes. Uh, Eve Rickert uh, recorded it for us, thankfully, and she didn't realize that like she needed to hold her camera like landscape as opposed to uh, portrait. So for the first couple of minutes, we're on our we're on our sides, but it, it writes itself a few minutes in. Well, it was titled "Polyamory and Masculinity." 
it was it was entitled you let her do what <laughs> <laughs> examinations of polyamory and masculinity yes uh. how did you even come up with that um honestly i came it was just it was the name first because that's a question that that i've gotten a lot in terms of in terms of just talking with other men about polyamory, especially monogamous men, where so many of them have said, like, well, I understand, Kev, you want to be with other women, but you let her do what? Like, you let her be with other men as if, like, I have some control over the autonomy of my partners, you know? And I don't, and I don't want that, but it becomes such a bone of contention where people feel like it's okay if they think I'm building a harem or something like that. But the idea that women have autonomy, sexual freedom, that's something that sort of becomes an issue. So it's a very, a very toxic, very standard, very societally driven view of masculinity of women as property of uh, partners as property as men, as of men as People who don't have the autonomy to say no to sexual encounters, to pe- as people who don't have basically guys who always or guys are always supposed to want it. We're only supposed to want the one thing, and any deviation from that ends up being seen as deviant, as uh, as an aberration. And I'm like, no, let's let's talk about that. Why do we look at why do we look at masculinity this way? How what are the what are like masculinity is not inherently toxic. So why do we adopt so many toxic behaviors and and label them as standard? Let's let's get into talking about it. And it was something that um that uh I did as a panel with with uh christopher smith uh bex caputo of the the dildorks and um uh aaron brown who is uh, an administrator of uh my local community called polydelphia we did that together at poly living philadelphia and it was really it was really cathartic and really introspective like John, you went and saw the one at, at Playground, which was great, and I'm gonna say I'm, I'm gonna talk about why that was great. But the one in Philadelphia, you missed out on a lot of crying. There was a lot of crying that happened. Um, I mean, a lot of the people in the crowd were people who I knew from my local community. But like, it went from talking about a topic to talking about ourselves, talking about our struggles with with masculinity as a as as an oppressive force. Um, both on ourselves and on our partners. So yeah, there was there was a lot of crying there. But um the one in Playground, uh Aaron Brown um was not a was not a part of that one. So it was just myself and Chris and Bex and we actually had like a nine hour car ride together. <laughs> Where I live in the Philadelphia area, um, Chris came up from uh, from the from from the Washington D.C. area, and he and I drove up, picked up Bex in New York, and then it was nine hours, the three of us, and we were talking about like our respective struggles, our relationship struggles, our life struggles, our struggles with masculinity, um, our struggles, my my and Chris's uh, struggles with masculinity as it relates to our race as black men, uh, Bex's struggles with masculinity as it relates to his. Uh, his gender as a trans man and we had so much conversation that a lot of that bled into the workshop that we did in playground where um you follow sports at all you watch uh pardon the interruption on espn believe it or not no 
Oh well, it's it's one of it's one of my favorite shows, and it's just two older men arguing about sports for half an hour, and it's really fantastic. And what makes it fantastic isn't the topics; it's that these two guys have been like best buds for decades before even making this show. So like having nine hours worth of conversation about polyamory and masculinity leading into a workshop about polyamory and masculinity so much great stuff from those conversations poured directly into the workshop and we're all so proud of how how well it's done not only are we planning on doing that workshop again we're planning on road tripping again to the next place where we're doing that workshop road trips is definitely a great place where you're trapped in a car and you go ahead and the conversation just seems to flow, but I walked into the workshop not knowing what to expect. I had just met you and Chris and, and talked with Bex, I think two sentences and sat down and you brought a lot of stuff to light, which I never really tackled. Uh, stuff like, yeah, as a man, if a woman says no, that's a prerogative. If a man says no, okay, you're not feeling well or something's yeah. wrong with you. And no, sometimes we actually don't feel like having sex, and no one's ever no one's ever talked about it. I think it was a lot of, and I could see the reason there was tears. No one's even asked these questions to me ever before, so it was like hearing all the stuff for the first time. Going, yeah, god damn it, yeah, yeah, and like I I I remember that part of the workshop because um, that was again something that we had spoken about on the on the ride up it's something that me and chris have spoken about it's something that that me chris and bex have spoken about where um there's such an expectation of polyamorous men that like of course men would be into it because yay more sex and like it's difficult for it's difficult for those of us who aren't really into sex you know it's difficult for us who don't have like these like massive massive uh sex drives or who don't who don't want sex at all in their polyamory but like it's difficult for me in that i am a very sexual polyamorous you know that's a, a major component of a lot of my relationships and i've turned down sex like twice in my life you know <laughs> and both times both times that shit blew up like the godfather and like both times were like relationship changing events where you know both times like my partners poured out every insecurity they had about like being turned down by someone who who almost never turns it down about you know who else you know, what else must be going on in my life who else must be better in my life than my partners if i was willing to turn them down and in one case like there were just other relationship problems and i wasn't in the mood in the other case I had just gotten back from a trip across country and I was tired. I don't even remember turning down the sex. I just remember that I just remember waking up to a long four page ass letter saying like pouring out paying, pouring out her entire heart, explaining like, you know, every insecurity she had. And meanwhile, both of these partners were partners who, who can and have and do turn me down on a regular basis, you know? And my response to them turning me down is, okay, maybe next time, you know, what do you, you know, you want to go out, you want to go out to eat? You want to go do something else? What's on, you know, what's on Netflix? You know, it's just something that like getting turned down on a regular basis is something that I've already gotten numb to. They have the reasons. I don't need their reasons. Their autonomy is enough. But my autonomy was not enough in the couple of times where I've said no. 
Oh, I, I completely understand that. Uh, a couple of months ago, I, I put together a GIF, and it was referencing online dating. And it shows women online dating, and I got that. Are you a Game of Thrones fan? I am. It's got that scene from the, the Battle of the Bastards where Jon Snow draws his sword and the entire army is descending upon him. <laughs> and below there, it's like men on online dating, and it's got Tom Hanks talking to a uh, coconut. A and it is that way. We're used to rejection. <laughs> <laughs> well that, that's true Na name a woman who's like started a profile on on anything whether it's okay cupid or any next thing you know th they have within an hour 10 dick pics which i hate guys who send dick pics because it screws the rest of us who actually want to do a conversation yeah yeah exactly and there's um there's a this beautiful gif of like a woman with her eyes closed getting hit in the face with like a dozen hot dogs. <laughs> oh, yes. I love that one. That was my favorite because that's a true story. That's always when you open. And it's like it's so annoying because I even put in my profile. It's like, please don't send dick pics. It's like you'll be automatically deleted. I will not contact you. It's yeah. like, and please write me a paragraph or sentence. Don't just send me like a like request or a wink or something. I'm just, oh. I'm yeah, it, it, it's too much work that I'm just like, no, no, if you can't read this, I stop. I go on droughts when it comes to dating other people. You do. You oh, abandoned the whole cause for a while. Yeah, I did. I'm just like, I can't handle this. And, and I try to find some of my old like friends with benefits just, just to go out because trying to find someone who has at least somewhat of halfway conversational skills, let alone intelligence, is yeah. so difficult in the dating pool. And and like that's something that's something that we addressed in that workshop as well. Where, I mean, there are so many men who regard like polyamory as like a girls' club, and they think it's because women have all of these options, but really they don't because their options are majority just douchebags who send dick, you know, unsolicited dick pics. And so that's not that's not a benefit. That's not like, oh, yay, I get to choose between like, you know, I've got to sift through all of this, you know, all of this shit to get to some gold. That's not a benefit to them. And like while it while it sucks that like uh, um, online dating for men and I, and I assume like uh, like cis cisgender heterosexual men, online dating ends up being sort of like uh, this desolate wasteland. There's not really a lot you can do about that when it comes to like safety. Where I know that I'm not going to be shitty to women in my in my online interactions, but they don't know that. And there are enough guys who have who have been cool, who have been chill, who have been respectful, and then turned into like violent, dangerous bastards. That you can't you can't be too safe with um with um what's going on there. Like I I mentioned I mentioned uh earlier. That like my wife had had a problem where somebody was uh, was harassing her, and that's exactly what it was. Where she had been interacting with some guy online. He seemed cool. He seemed respectful. They they had uh, exchanged phone numbers. They had gone to you know they had gotten to the stage of text messaging. They were just getting ready to arrange to date, to go on like a first date. When she got the impression that this guy didn't realize that she was polyamorous that maybe he thought she was like a cheating wife maybe something he said tipped her off to this idea that she might have been cheating on me and so she, she she says like oh by the way like no i'm not cheating on anybody this is just how my relationship is structured and this guy ends up losing it 
He gets really upset. He calls her every slut shaming name in the book. He starts being, he starts being like, har- he starts harassing her. You need Jesus, and I need to be the one who saves you. You're just trying to use men for their money. Just every every ridiculous thing, every cliche, every cartoon supervillain tactic he had, he was throwing at her. And eventually, um, like this had gone on for a couple of days before she had let me know about it. And eventually, like I had to get on the phone with this guy and basically tell him, like. You're going to stop bothering my wife or I'm going to show up to your house and we're going to find out which one of us is hardcore. And he never contacted her again after that. I mean, the story gets a little bit more intricate than that, but that's like sort of the, the, the too long didn't read version of it. And women don't know when their nice, respectful, not dick pic sending person is going to turn into that guy. So you can never be too certain. You, can, you can't You can't monitor too heavily for that. There's... Um, I think it's on Instagram. It's called like by Felipe or like Tinder nightmares. There's a, there's like a, there's always a Tumblr. There's always an Instagram dedicated to these kind of interactions that go really poorly, that go really dangerous, that get really violent, that get really messy. And you don't have that in the reverse. And that's something that, I mean, you don't have that in, you don't have that in the reverse in a way that's reinforced by the culture that America sort of provides to us. And that being the case, like polyamory isn't a girl's club. It's just that like dicks are abundant and low value. That's an understatement to say the least. I just can't believe that he was okay with her cheating. But as soon as he found out that this was okay with you, then it was, then she needed saving and God and Jesus in her life. Wouldn't she need God and Jesus in her life if she was cheating on you? Yeah. I, I'm just saying. I mean, just, uh, Roman Catholic, so practicing, that's the way I understand. I mean, sometimes I wonder if I'm going to burn every time I go into the church because, you know, I'm not following all the laws, but I still have my spiritual beliefs, my little voodoo here and there. But, yeah, you know, it's like, ah. It, it, and it's funny because we have a triad friends that it what happened was with one of the the part the metamors that their family was okay as long as he was cheating with her but the minute that they found out that it was a triad and everyone was okay they disowned him and took his children away it's and i I don't understand any of it and again like that's this is what this is sort of what society provides to us that like cheating is sort of standard like cheating we understand you know, Ashley Madison as a website, that makes sense. But like, wait a minute, you're in love with multiple people and you're committed to multiple people and you're above board and respectful and ethical about this? Shock of shocks. Oh, yeah. So it's okay. So let me understand this. You're not here because you're in a loveless, miserable marriage and looking for that intimacy, that sex connection. I'm like, no, I get plenty of sex. I just want something more like some entertainment incitement you know go out with someone new it's like but but i'm miserable in my marriage i'm like you know what if you're miserable go stay miserable i'm not i'm happy i enjoy this we could go and enjoy each other or you could just leave it at the door and just go away yeah i mean i i I had a i've got a i've got a friend who years ago we were talking about this we had this weird dynamic where um uh we had this weird dynamic where she was in a relationship with a guy who was cheating on his wife and I'm in my polyamorous situation and we would argue about how unreasonable 
our respective situations were where she she felt my polyamory was complete bullshit and i felt that her being you know together with a, a married guy cheating on his wife was complete bullshit and at some point i was like look if you were my girlfriend i wouldn't be hiding you from my wife like your boyfriend does i would invite you to the house my wife would cook dinner for us like she would cook dinner and invite you to hang out she'd high five you for being part of the team and she was like nope that's weird. I don't understand that. It's like, okay, but like you only get to talk to your guy like during his lunch breaks at work when like his wife won't find out. And that's normal? Okay. You know, in a, in a way, it's a shame, the whole societal thing, because if you look at the people we even idolize or put into government, cheating and lying is their norm. Yeah, yeah. You, there is no such thing as a fact check website that people will believe if they don't want to believe. Um, somebody, somebody had like a really awesome idea. Um, I think like might have been like right around when uh, when when forty five won the presidency or whatever you call that, and they said, well, they should put all of his speeches on like a five minute delay and then use that five minute delay to fact check everything he's saying in real time. And that would have been a brilliant idea, except that the people who support him are never going to say, well, these facts are facts. They're going to say these facts are lies because I don't want to believe them. And that's just that's just where we live now. That's that's what society is. All of society is gaslighting. Oh, yeah. People believe what they want to believe and, and don't believe what they don't want to believe. Yep. Kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. It is, but this it's is the always... worst Black Mirror episode ever. <laughs> and it's still going on for a couple more seasons, so we'll figure it out. <laughs> oh God, this is yeah. You know, and I feel bad about that because we've seen the first season of Black Mirror, and everyone's like, "But you got to see two and more, and it's so much better." And, and and I'm like, "I have Netflix. I know. I just I need to find time to sit down and watch it." You know, um, before before Kevin Spacey's uh, before Kevin Spacey's uh, nonsense came to light and like he got sort of thrown in the garbage, like like I mean, not that he shouldn't have been thrown in the garbage. Um, this last season of House of Cards was unwatchable for me because there was nothing as like I mean I'm like I I, I tune into House of Cards because I want to see like this wild political action and then. There's nothing as wild as what's happening in the news every single day. Like this is my reality now. Like I, I can't believe, I, I, I can't, I can't like be incredulous at Kevin Spacey as, uh, as Frank Underwood when Donald Trump is in the Oval Office. Like it's just, yeah. I honestly feel like if if we were writing for what was that White House show from ten years ago? Um, yeah, West Wing. West Wing. Like if I was a writer for a West Wing and said, okay. We're going to put a businessman in the White House, and we're going to have a homophobic vice president who's going to write a book, but a TV show is going to write a parody book that's even going to outsell it about a gay rabbit. They'd be like, that's fucking ridiculous. Get out of here. Yeah. Now, that's what's going on today. <laughs> you, you know, you know what, you know what, what's, uh, what looks to me like our current, uh, our current administration? Biff. In Back to the Future 2, when they go back to the alternate timeline and like he's become like super rich and corrupt, I'm like, Biff basically becomes Donald Trump. And the only reason that that's not as far-fetched as our current uh, administration is because there's like a time-traveling flying DeLorean in it. That's basically all we need now to live in Back to the Future 2. 
you know, you're absolutely right. Almost everything, even with the uh, the hookers and the blow and you yep. know what he's done to uh, Marty's mom and exactly. Yeah. Hey, look. You wanted these things. <laughs> For all the other conspiracies out there, the thought that the real Donald Trump stole a time machine, went back to 1985, and that's why he's president, doesn't seem that far-fetched. You know, I want, <laughs> I want that to seem like the most ridiculous idea, but right now, it's like, I don't know. I don't know if it is. I, I, I don't know, but you know what? The Simpsons are good in predicting because, remember, Lisa Simpson predicted that Donald Trump was going to be president. Yeah, yeah, the Simpsons predicted a lot of things. I feel like maybe Matt Groening went back in time in a in a in a, in a DeLorean and and figured out some things to put in his award-winning cartoon. I, I'm thinking so too. That's scary. You know, I date myself by by the Simpsons because uh, it came out while I was in high school, and I start doing the math and going, "Shit, <laughs> it's been on yeah. a really long time." I, I date myself with The Simpsons in that, like, I remember when it was on the Tracy Ullman show, and I oh, remember, yeah. like, the Life is Hell cartoon, uh, comic strips and all that. 1987, when Fox wasn't Fox. Fox was a yeah. bunch of yahoos that were given a station, and we said, okay, well, a la carte, what do we feel like watching? Yeah, and, back with uh, the Gary Shandling show and... Oh, uh, Mad TV and, and Lower Expectations, that was still my favorite segment. Married with Children... I actually really loved um, Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Yes, as did I. It was a complete ripoff of uh, Ferris Bueller. Totally. But I didn't care. Totally, but it was what ridiculous. What we've gone on? <laughs> Welcome to our Tangents podcast. are a wonderful thing, yes. <laughs> but on that note, how can people find you? Um, I am available as, as Poly Role Models on basically everything. Um, my web, my, my website, the blog, the interview series is polyrolemodels.tumblr.com. I'm poly, uh, at Poly Role Models on Twitter and Instagram. The place where I usually, uh, where I've been, uh, directing people right now is, has been, uh, Poly Role Model, or Facebook.com slash Poly Role Models, mostly because there's an event page on the Facebook page, and that shows sort of where I'm at this year and where I'm at is everywhere. Um, I'm getting ready for uh, Southwest Love Fest in Tucson. I'm going to be at Poly Dallas Millennium in July, Atlanta Poly Weekend in June. I'm going to be doing book signings in New York, D.C., Philadelphia, Portland. LA. Yeah, um, oh, yeah, I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a Catalyst Con for uh, um, in in Los Angeles. I'm gonna be awesome. in San, San Francisco, Oakland, Portland, Olympia, Seattle, Vancouver. I'm I'm hitting everything this year, every um everywhere except for the Midwest. Sorry, Midwest, I I just couldn't get out there this year. But, but we're but in Florida. Soon. You're saying everywhere. I'm not here in Florida. <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm trying. I am I'm legit trying to make Florida happen. Talk to Professor Sex. Get in her face. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, we will do. Oh, we will do. If not, we'll talk to our peeps here in Orlando. I mean, get in her face, like, gently, because she's awesome. Like, you know, don't don't upset Professor Sex. Oh, no. You know, hugs and tacos. Yeah. That's what we're doing. No, it's like. <laughs> She'll use her mind powers on you, and they're formidable. <laughs> Absolutely. And you can find me everywhere. I'm living a sex positive life. Um, social media, website. And you can find me as John C. Luna on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, 
Tumblr and FetLife, and if you find me anyplace else, let me know. Alright, don't forget to rate and review our podcast. That's the way how we could share this love so everyone could find and purchase Kevin's book, Love's Not Blind. Did I get it right? Love's Not Colorblind. Not Colorblind. Ah! <laughs> well, I should have the colorblind say it. <laughs> you should have the colorblind guy say it's not colorblind. Where should people go to get the book? Um, Amazon Amazon has it, and uh, just um, and local local retailers local retailers should be stocking it. Amazon definitely has it. Amazon has it on um, um, as an ebook and as a paperback. I'm getting ready to start working on an audio book, so that should be coming soon. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, honey, you know those new toys I wanted to try out? Yes. The ones that you said it's going to cost me way too much money to have? Oh, yes. But I found this new service called kinkcrate.com. Sounds interesting. Yeah, and for $50 a month, they send you a box of toys that are worth anywhere from $75 to $100. And it's like great starter kit, like, you know, that rope play we wanted to try or your favorite medical play. So... Why don't we go check it out? I heard if you go to livingasexpositivelife.com's sponsor page, they can get you an additional 33% off. See? It's such a steal, babe. Come on, 33% off our first box? Please. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our show tonight. You can find us on our webpage, livingasexpositivelife.com, on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on Living a Sex Positive Life, where you follow all our stories and adventures. You can find me on all social media as Miss Angelique Luna. And you can find me on Facebook and Twitter as John C. Luna. Please reach out and let us know how we're doing. Please like, share all our contents, leave your opinions, comments, complaints. We accept it all. But we also like to thank our sponsor, The Woodshed. You can find them on their webpage, thewoodshedorlando.com. And they're also on FetLife and Facebook, where you could see a lot of their events and promotions going on. So thank you very much for uh, joining tonight. (laughs) Thank you. Have a good night, everyone. Bye. Bye.